Hey everyone, Brando here. And Mike. And we host the Game Addicts Podcast. A show about modern and retro video games. That we play and collect. Now, here's some vital information for you. Our podcast is found on podcast services around the globe, such as iTunes, Podbean, Stitcher Radio, and YouTube. Check us out every Thursday for a new episode. But wait! There's more. If you pledge to the Journey to Comics Network Patreon, you get early access to the audio version of the show up to a week early. So what are you waiting for? It's time to level up and check out the Game Addicts podcast today. The following is a Journey to Comics Network production. Hey, hey, this is Josh Richmond, and you are listening to the Voice of Survival podcast, exclusively on the Journey into Comics Network. It's episode 11. As the introduction said, I am your host, Nate. Today, joining me, someone who has been a great influence on my life. Uh, This person has been really gracious. They're like a, uh, what would you call that? I think the word I would use is tour dad. Tour dad. I see that. Uh, You have been a part of the network for a while. You've helped us in many different ways. We're going to get into all of that today. He is one of the co-hosts for the Game Addicts podcast. Welcome to the show, Mike. How you doing? Pretty good. How you doing, dude? I'm doing really good. Uh, I thought about it, and it's kind of funny. We have some plans for the future of the network that involve this show. It involves a lot of different shows. You have some things to do with that. I felt like now was maybe the perfect time to have you on the Voice of Survival. And it's interesting too because while I know you and we've spent a lot of time interacting together, I really mostly know Nerd Mike. Right, like that side of you, and I feel like there's a whole, there's a whole person behind like your journey leading you to where you are in life now. So I really want to get into that, and with that, I just want to start with so where like where do you grow up? You know, how was life like when you were growing up? I guess is a good way to say it. What kind of home life did you come from? If we could start there. Um. Well, I grew up in Bloomington, Indiana. Yeah. Okay. And. Um, I'd say it's kind of rough. Okay. Um, didn't get along with my mother very well. Totally understand. My dad that. was great. Okay. He was always there, but me and her really didn't get along too well. Okay. So it's kind of rough and rocky, but I didn't actually do anything nerd then. Really? I had PlayStation. That's the extent of what I had. So you were just kind of like a limited gamer. Yeah, we 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 did like I mean, of course, Mario Kart and stuff at the neighbor's house, but really it was motorcycles, out all outside. You're a little rough and tough in that regard. Yeah, I grew F- up at. Did you country. fix your motorcycles and stuff by yep. yourself? Yep. So you're a good hands-on kind of guy. Was do uh, you uh, <laughs> did like I always ask this question because it's it's just interesting to find out. Did you play any musical instruments growing up or anything like that? Trumpet. Trumpet. I okay, started with a trumpet. Cool. You know, it's funny that that kind of mirrors my story when I went to do school band. I was supposed to play the trumpet. I couldn't I couldn't do the lip blowy thing. So they were like, hey, you suck. 
here's some drumsticks. And I guess <laughs> I just unintentionally naturally had rhythm, but I was still not very good at drums, so I learned to play the bells, and that was cool because it was all the different things here. So you played trumpet for a time. Did you play that all through high school, or was it just like a little tiny amount of time? It is a real small, like one one semester. Oh, wow. Did, you it. didn't really like yeah, it that I much? I didn't like it. Okay, okay. So what did you do growing up for fun? What was the thing you did like within the motorcycles? It's not like the only thing you're doing, you know? That was primarily all we did. Okay. Uh, like where we, where I grew up at, it was all woods. We could access anybody's property. So okay. we just, everybody in the neighborhood had a motorcycle. So after school, we would pretty much all just convene at one person's house and go. Race, have fun. Yeah, just cruise around. and Cool. That's a cool life, man. It was, so it's cool. One thing I know about you, and we'll we'll kind of we're gonna go all over the place today talking about That's your fine. story and your life and whatnot. One thing I know about you is that you definitely took an interesting journey that I've not, I don't even I don't know how to quantify like what it was even like. So let's get into this. You did uh, several tours of, with the army. Yes. Okay. So let's talk about that. What where would where did the decision to do that come from? Was it your home life kind of driving you away and you yes. wanting to do something different? So what? how did that go? How did that all kind of come about when that happens? When you make the decision like, fuck it, I'm going to go to the Army. Well, I, I really wanted to leave where I was at and I felt that I was going nowhere and that I had the potential to go nowhere if I stayed where I was at. So your tires. I literally went into the recruitment office and did the paperwork there and then they're like well you know you're 17 your mom needs to come so my mom came and said no and then she left and i signed it <laughs> wow so you just like fuck it it's yeah. my life and you then, were turning 18 i'm guessing yeah. so i left and that so, started that journey okay so the first thing you obviously do is go through basic training right what's that experience like to for me personally yeah i enjoyed it okay i mean if you they're gonna yell and scream at you that's just part of the life but I was a very active outdoor person, so for me it was, okay, well, you guys are going to run together, and we'd run together, and they'd have, like, stupid, ridiculous cadences, like, there's some that are banned now that you're not allowed to do because they're very vulgar, so we would run and joke around, I mean, I had fun with it, and then the shooting and the training, they had some optical courses that we did, I enjoyed that part, and then when I got into active duty... Straight overseas. Okay, so let's get right into it. What? And, how? How does that affect you? Because I feel like basic training is like literally training wheels. Like this is kind of what life is about to be like for real. But you don't really know what it's like. What is your feeling when you get your first like deployment? Well, I mean, at first it's kind of you. You don't know really what to expect, and then when you get there, it's not anything that anybody has taught you or anything it's a completely different experience so they they teach you that this is what's happening now so you have to go through like a, a pre-base a pre-deployment scenario like a debriefing yeah but it's a pre-briefing okay gotcha so you they're telling you what's going on what's actually actively going on overseas and then you get there and none of that's happening it's already changed so it's all about adapting to your environment all the time. So you're like very much a fish on the water when you go over there. Where was your first deployment? Iraq. Wow, straight to yep. the to the now. Uh, all my tours are in Iraq. Wow. Uh, so what parts of Iraq? What were some of your duties? Everywhere. Just, okay, so let's let's talk about the things. I listen. I know that there's a uh, 
I guess the word is terribly phrased here, but there's a landmine of things to talk about that could, that could that could potentially lead down dark paths within your journey. But I want to know a lot of the good experiences that come from you serving in the army, okay. and what that has kind of given you on the other side of that and coming back to civilian life. Because I feel like in the news, in the media, everywhere, you get constantly berated with this idea that. It, it's it's really bad for all veterans like all veterans are struggling with this terrible struggle and I see you and I see you as a friend and I and I and I be in your house and I have experienced your hospitalities and whatnot and I don't feel any edge from you at all it's like <clears throat> it's like you've harmonized with your fucking self and figured out how to like push through whatever that is that happens when you go and you have an experience like war because War is something that I can't even quantify if I tried. Video games doesn't tell me what war is really like. Right. You're scared shitless, I'm sure. And it's like a fucking put up or shut up moment. You're there. So let's go backwards instead of talking about the bad. Let's go back to this. And what are some of the good experiences that come from your tours in Iraq? A lot of mine is, so when I was growing up, I was a pretty disrespectful, smart mouth. I'm still smart mouth, but... No respect for anybody. Okay. And I felt like the military really pushed me to be where I needed to go. Like, it, it made me more have a sense. One of the things that came from there that was big for me is a sense of life. Like, how precious every moment of your life is. Fuck yeah. Because there are times when you go there and you're looking and these people are literally living in houses made of rusty metal. And it is one room. That isn't even as big as the room we're in now, and there's five people living in this house. No fucking way, man. Seriously. And it's wow. it's mud. It'll just be mud and a little sheet metal's top on it, and they have a curtain for a door that literally leads outside. That's wow. it. So you really get a sense of... Because as we all know, as we're younger, we all think that we're entitled to stuff. It's just what you do when you're growing up. Your parents bought you everything, so as you're becoming an adult you're learning the way life actually is than what it was when you're living under your parents roof and that was a major eye-opener for me thinking okay i can't take everything for granted i have to capitalize on every opportunity that comes my way and these people they just their their life it looks more like ours are very complicated theirs is very simple you know, they, they go out, they till the field, do do whatever they need to do to get food, and that's... They are basically survival mode yeah. at its basic form, and we are in the most beautiful form of living with all these luxuries and being exactly. able to have podcasts and talk about things and whatnot. So that, that really helped me determine what I wanted to do with life in a, as a whole. Now, as of, like, good experiences, the people. Okay. The people that I met in the service... Unfortunately, I've fallen off with them because if you don't see them, a lot of them don't live close. We're talking three, four hours. Is totally understandable. Most of them. It's hard to stay in touch with everybody. And though that's what really kept me in the military was the, the people. Like okay. the work is the same. You know, you're gonna work. It's it's the same work. It's just the people, the the bonds you make with those people over that time, you'll never forget. So stuff like that it helped me develop my personality because I this person I you see here very demeanor that's not who I was at all I was very loud 
high energy, running around crazy all the time. And this is, it's settled me down. Like the realization of you can't be that way. Do you, uh, I'm not trying to pry too deeply, but do you like suffer from ADD or ADHD or anything like I have that? ADD. Do you, know? you do have ADD, so it's not hyper, it's just the regular. Uh, no, ADHD then. Okay, yeah, because yeah, the. It's been a long time since that, like. Typically, you find that out when you're like eight or nine. Like, yeah. hey, you're fucking crazy. <laughs> like, you yeah. You get on this Ritalin, and my parents were like, no, it'll kill his creative drive. No. And that was like, the, the, my parents are definitely not perfect parents by any stretch of the imagination, but that is like one decision as a male adult now. I'm so grateful they never gave me Adderall yeah. or Ritalin. I had both. Oh, man. That's, that's terrifying because that just like zombies you out, right? For me, it didn't do anything. Really? Yeah, they took me off both of them and they were like yeah he'll just you just were very hyperactive anyways naturally so uh when was your first tour i think is a good question because i'm trying to think of the timeline of was that would it have been like 2004 yeah okay so 2004 would have been the height of the start of the iraq war really because i think what it was the 2003 in, everything started in, really popping off in basic training they just caught saddam wow okay so and it, then it was ait and then so you Shit. had to essentially go in and be clean up. No, that was, I mean, I, even after Saddam, it was still. Just as bad. You, just was, as bad. I mean, they, they came in and did all the bombing before all that. Yeah. But there was still, you know, stuff that needed to be done. They restructured the, they tried to reach, they tried. I don't know if they accomplished that because I don't follow it, but restructuring the them to be able to take care of themselves because they relied so much on someone else to do everything for them that they didn't know what to do outside of I just survive. Oh, yeah, totally, totally. And that's why uh, it's interesting because there's a lot of, uh, I don't know what the good what the good word is here, but a lot of flack from, like, the Obama side that he pulled all the troops out so fast and now you have ISIS rising to power right. and whatnot. So you, like, were living with the reality that these people literally had no moral compass outside of what Saddam was telling them to right. have. So it's like you're uh, literally letting animals out of, I mean, I'm not trying to be, like, vile and graphic towards the Iraqi people, but you're letting animals out of cages for the first time to roam free. Right. And of course there's going to be an uprising of people who are like, fuck the way things were and fuck the way things are. And we're going to have it our own way. Cause everybody has extremist groups. It doesn't matter. I mean, in America we have extremist groups all the same. So, uh, to get back to it, what were your jobs in the military? Because here's the thing. My uncle served in Korea and he was a mailman. So, see, when I was younger and I would tell people my, my uncle served in Korea, I was like, yeah, he was a fucking war hero. You know, I had no idea. It wasn't until I was older and he was like, yeah, you know, I was a postman. I just delivered mail to the soldiers. And I was like, really? That's all? Like, that's crazy. That's that's a job. I didn't, I didn't even think that was a thing that you would have to even consider, you know? So it, like, really opened my eyes. So what were some of your tasks and duties while you were overseas? I was an engineer. Oh, that's cool as fuck. So I ran equipment and then they let us play with explosives. That was always fun. Boom. But... Primarily, ours was to build bases. Like when the first tour was, is that they were establishing bases around Iraq. So we would come in with bulldozers or stuff, and we would build the berms. The uh, I don't know if you know what a HESCO is. I do not. It's know. basically a burlap sack, okay, and a chicken wire, and you would fill it with dirt. And what it did is it kept it upright. But it didn't take up as much space because when you build a, a mountain, you know, you have to have the taper. Well, one of, a guy designed a HESCO where you basically just fill it up and it eight foot 
wide by eight foot tall big old pile of dirt but it's contained so it could have structure to it so we were doing a lot of building up walls basically and we did a lot of security and then the major thing that i did was probably one of the coolest things i did we moved the world's largest generator what there is a generator that it i can't was it like in saddam's palace no it was a American, I don't know who made it, but I know that we moved it to give the Iraqi people power. Wow. To the north. So we had to convoy this thing from the south of Iraq. South, about Kuwait borders when we met up with them, all the way north. I I can't remember. So a convoy of troops taking this, guarding it. At 30 miles an hour, at a couple hundred miles. So it took like all day and night. Oh, it was couple i would say a couple months i think for us to get there and then them to set it up oh because you would have to stop off and well also you have to think about that they don't consider power lines and stuff they just literally hang bare wires down shit so this generator is massive so the main (laughs) body of it sits a couple stories tall holy shit i'd say two stories tall so we had to get up there and push the wires up over the top of it Whoa. So, and you come into like towns and stuff or settlements, okay. I'd like to say. Sure. And you have to go through there at a snail speed, and there was like 180 or some odd vehicles in this convoy. And you're moving them all oh, man. once. And we have air support, tank support, like anything and everything under the sun. We had it. It's got to be really stressful, right? I mean, really. When you're in that moment, or are you just so in the fucking moment that you're just numb to it? At, at first, it's very stressful, and um, like, say, one of the places we were at in Ramadi, it used to get bombed a lot, a lot, a lot, in the base that we were at. Wow. A lot of times, they wouldn't hit the base, but it would be it would be bombed, and you become numb to it. Like, there is actually an incident where I was on a night shift, came back, and went to sleep, and the base got bombed. It actually landed on base. Everybody else ran out, hit the bunkers, and I'm still passed out in my bunk. Holy shit. They did accountability dude. and couldn't find me, and I was still asleep in my bunk because i just become completely numb to it. It, wow. it. it didn't even wake me up, didn't even phase me at all. And they have alarms and shit that probably go off in yeah. that moment. Yeah, so you're just KO'd. Yeah, it was a long... And a lot of the hours there you pull, like depending on what you're doing, you, you can pull long like hours 18 hour days where you're yeah and you're just exhausted for three or four yep and you could do that for multiple days it all depends on what your what your scope of work is of that day so you were not in the okay i'm not i'm not trying to say this disrespectfully you weren't on the front lines of combat per se you were in a lot of situations where you could see combat I wasn't kicking in doors. Exactly. That's now, what I'm that's at. that's not what we did. Now a couple of times I did go out with some marines and you know we what would happen is is that we basically got tasked to a, a couple of us would get tasked to like a marine division so we're we're with the marines so whatever they want us to do that's what we're doing so if we're kicking in doors we're kicking in doors a lot of the times they didn't want us to kick in doors they say hey bring that dozer and destroy this building whoa we, we want to get through here make a path so we would be on the front lines but in a bulletproof dozer and it's super loud Oh, so so some, sometimes you can you think, did I just get shot at? 
or was that just a noise yeah. that you heard? So you just keep trucking. Fuck, that's insane. Uh, a lot of times when people are deployed, sometimes you get like side tasked or something and you end up in Bermuda or in, you know, Berlin or some weird shit. Did you ever have anything happen where you didn't go directly to Iraq first? You had to be temporarily deployed to Japan for, let's say, two months or something. It was always directly there. Oh, that's it. You Uh, always go how how it worked. Now, this all has probably changed this time. It's been many years since I've been there. Totally. Um, you would have to go to Kuwait, and then they they basically let you get acclimated to the life, and then in that there is usually a special forces or a ranger guy that will take you guys out into the desert and say, okay, we're gonna teach you some stuff that you didn't get taught in basic. So like running and firing and firing on the move and me shooting over your shoulder, getting comfortable with that. Whoa. Yeah, it's. Oh. So they do like it's like a month or two where they they give you your your another pre-deployment. So you have like a pre-pre-deployment in the states, a pre-deployment in Kuwait, and then your and then your the, boots on ground. Wow. Yeah. Uh. So you are overseas. What is the? I mean, you you slept through a bombing. So I don't know if this you're gonna be able to give me an answer that's gonna be more terrifying than that because I think that in of itself was terrifying. But what was that the most terrifying moment? in your time overseas or is there i mean are there things that you could talk about that are not i don't want to i don't want to talk about really dark stuff if you don't want to because i totally understand that but just crazy shit that you were not anticipating that definitely threw you off so probably one of the worst things and it's not like direct it's nothing terrible it's we're on a base and at a certain point and and they always tell you where your gear, and it's a hundred. So I was on the Euphrates River, at Haditha Dam, helping these guys. They were building like an extension of the base for the Iraqi people or the police officers, so that they could train. Okay. So we're building their base, essentially from the ground up. Nothing there, flat desert, starting from the ground up. So there, there we're with some CBs, and. There's three of us that were tasked to go out there and, and do equipment operations for them to build up the berms and get the base semi-secure. Well, at a certain point, it's 100, 130 degrees. We're at heat cap black. Like, it is, you are, you're only supposed to be out for 10 minutes, 15-minute breaks, but that's not how the military works. You just, you work. And you're getting exhausted. Until you're getting exhausted, and then you do it. So, and the, and the gear that we were in, the equipment that we were in, didn't have, like, a, a bulletproof canopy. It was just like you see the bulldozer if you drive by your house, like, down the road. You'll see an open cab with just a little top on the par- on the top of it so you don't get rained on. It's just completely open. Wow. So we're doing stuff with that. And me and a guy stopped. And I'm take off my, bullet, my vest, had my Kevlar off, and just hanging out talking to this guy standing on my dozer we're deciding what's going on and three bombs drop whoa he's he's already he still has all his gear on and he's down like so there's a berm there's a berm and he's standing at he's on his dozer at the back side of the berm i am probably 20 feet away and the bomb hit on the other side of the berm whoa the concussion was so loud that i passed out and I fell underneath the dozer. Holy shit. So they had to pull me out. 
Whoa. I couldn't hear hardly at all for a couple of days. Like every once in a while, there'll be a part where like sometimes Joanna will talk to me and I, I just won't hear it all because my ears will be ringing. It's like phantom deafness. Yeah. I understand. But I can totally. hear fine. But every once in a while, it'll like something will pop and I, it's completely just nothing but bells. That's all Man. I hear is a buzz. So that is. Um... And actually, my mom, for some reason at that point in time, she had, you know how you get those gut feelings if something bad happened? Yeah. Well, she had that feeling. Weird. And I wasn't able to contact her for a couple of days, for a couple of weeks. And, and she, she was, was freaking, freaking out. out. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, it's weird. Uh, I'm gonna. We're just gonna get into this a little bit because hearing that story makes me think of a totally different thing that happened in my life. That's far less like life or death traumatic, but definitely in the same token, just like makes me empathize in some way with maybe what that moment was like for you. And I remember I was in a car with my buddy, and this lady was driving us. This chick that we went to school with, and I just felt this really awful feeling and I looked up and said, we're going to hit a deer and boom, a deer jumped out and we ripped its head fucking clean off of its body. Like it was a terrible, disgusting thing. Well, for weeks. Okay. And this is, I'm like 17 when this happens for weeks, I'm having trouble going anywhere in the dark because I'm like terribly seeing this deer that we fucking murdered, you know? So I'm guessing. And, and, and again, let me know where the bounds are here, but I'm guessing that that's a some kind of lead into some PTSD for you, having that experience. I mean, being uh, knocked out from a concussion from a, a bomb dropping is gotta like definitely create some real life tension when you come back from the conflict. So for me, I I don't ever think about it. Okay. Like, so, unless we're actively talking about it, sure. and then every once in a while you get a wake of, like, just absolute depression and sorrow, and then you, everybody does it every once in a while where you think back on the bad things that happen and blah, 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 blah. But I don't really have that. I've, I've tried to, the way that I've maintained, because a lot of, there's a lot of stuff that we're going to talk about that has happened that is absolutely horrible things, and... How I've been able to cope with this, I just move forward. I don't think back. I try to not think about it at all. It's just something that has happened that you cannot change. It is something, yeah. And I've not, and if you were to compare me to that person to now, you wouldn't even know who I was. Actually, a lot of before I met Brando, my friends, the last tour, when I came back, they were like, you're, I don't know, who are you? We actually have no idea who you are because the last tour, a lot of, it wasn't as bad as, as like combat. Like for some reason, like, you know, we were, we've been, I've been shot at before, you know, in vehicles. Um, we've had bombs go off in by our vehicles. That stuff doesn't bother me. It's the fact of like losing somebody really close and being the one that was there. Oh, can't even imagine that is that's what like changed though my my primary outlook of like knowing as we'd be like brendan knows me really well you yeah. know me really well totally. and then completely doing something that is 100 percent out of character that you would never imagine in a million years that i would do yeah 
because you don't know what I'm thinking all the time. Exactly. And stuff like that, that's where like it completely mentally changed who I was. Well, and I think that that is true for anyone who has had to face death. Right. Like, and I don't mean, oh, I have this old loved one. They're on their way out. Yeah. That is a certain thing. And that's almost like a, a rite of passage to be there and, and usher someone in that regard. On the flip side, when tragedy strikes and you're there firsthand, it's impossible to mentally wrap your head around what that does to you because it can traumatize you in ways that you don't even understand. I mean, for me, my sister, when I was five, she got hit by a car, okay, right in front of me. like, And, it, and I saw, and it was a horrible experience, and it totally fucked me up for a long time. I went to therapy for it, you know? Right. And, the th- and from that, I started to understand, like, the kind of where you're at now in your life of like you have to move forward because you'll never when the moment happens whatever the tragedy or whatever the fuck is you can't change it it's done like that is the way it was set i the cards are out of my hand you know so i genuinely just to get back to what i was saying earlier in the show genuinely admire you because i know that you have had real struggle and had real shit happen to you and then I see you, and you are just this plucky, happy-go-lucky, bright, friendly guy who's, you know, always looking to help his friends out, whatever he can do, you know, help however you can. And it's just, it's really a testament to your character because it's, it has to, I, I'm, I just, I want, I want to stress with the listeners here, it has to be so fucking hard to live in war, for real. I, I, I'm not, clearly. I go home and sleep in a nice bed, and, and I don't know what that's like. I didn't do that. But you have, and you come on the other side of it, and you're like, I got this. And I just love that. I think that more people need to be like you and have that mentality of just like, no, take take your own control of everything. Right. And just do it 150 fucking percent. So let's keep going. What are some more things that uh, went on that were interesting in your time in Iraq that you can necessarily think of? So... We'll go back to the one that changed. So what you're talking about, like mentally, the stuff that that fucks you up, essentially. Um, With the death of my best friend at the time. Oh, that one. That was the. This is one of the things that every once in a while you stop and you replay the last five days of, of your time with that person and how you could have changed it to change the outcome of that day. Unfortunately, he took his own life. Oh. That's... And um, it's one of those things where, like, I was, we did everything together. Every morning we worked out for an hour and a half, and then we'd separate, you know, shower, get ready to go, and then he'd come to my chew at that time and be like hey let's go to breakfast we go to breakfast come back we go to work together like we spent as much time as we could together you guys were brothers pretty much absolutely and he knowing the person I knew him outside of the military and stuff so it was like you thought you knew who that person was. And then you really have no idea what's going on into a person. No control or the struggle but when you look at like at the time I was going through a rough time and I was was more focused on something that 
now when I look at it that I should have never even focused any energy on at all. Totally. Not on him. And when you replay that back, it's like, it's hard to not blame yourself where the signs were like, hey, you know, I need to talk to you about something important. But you're wrapped up in your stuff. Well, and I mean, that's, I totally understand what you're saying there because it's the, it's the cry for help. But when you're crying for help too, yep, it's impossible. It, it, it is uh, kryptonite to kryptonite. You, it, you can't do it because if they're wallowing in their thing and then you're wallowing in your thing, you're, you could t- totally just give really destructive advice to continue upon this. I feel like what you just told me about your friend, I, I did not know. And that's very unfortunate. Uh, that happened while you guys were over there. Yes. Okay, so then that brings me to my next thing is it kind of helps me to see more of who you are because I feel like, and and correct me if I'm wrong, that moment changes you and also gives you another chance to self-reflect. Yes. Like, what am I doing? What is my shit about? What is important to me now? Right. And then you go, what if I was on that path? Yep. What can I do to not be on that path? And it changed you. So in all of that, I mean, how does how does something like that, because it didn't just affect you, because you were with a group of people, I'm guessing. Right. So that just is like a, a real blow to the whole morale of everything. Yeah. Oh, man. I just, I, I can't even, ugh, it just makes me feel sad and really not happy for you. you yeah, know? I mean, it's... I say this, and it sounds bad. It is what it is. You have to take life with what it gives you and, and do the best you can with it. That's, that's basically the, the gist of it. Everybody's heard the story before, but when it happens, you know, everybody says that, and they're like, yeah, you know, life's tough. You just got to deal with it. But when it happens to you, and it's right there in front of you, and you know that you could have made been the hand to change the direction of the path that was taken, because I had kind of known that he had had struggles before. Okay. And, you know, he kind of briefly told me about him, but it was kind of like, you know, it's a moment of low, you know, that would never happen again, blah, blah, blah. So you don't think about it because you know this person, you've known this person for, let's say, five years. Yeah. You know, you spent a lot of time with him. And this happened, you know, six, seven years ago before you guys even met. So you don't think about it. You think, this is a person I know now. Absolutely. So when you go through it, it's it's hard to, like sitting here talking about it, it's hard to not play back everything. Totally. And it's not like it's, it's you just remember every detail, the smell, the taste, everything about that moment will never go away. The, the hardest part is finding some type of solace in it essentially like some something positives that come out of this there's nothing positive about death but it's what happened is it changed my view of of everything it gave like, you an option at new life right really, you know? and it, it it made me think that you know i spent too much time with myself and not others so one of my things to change that path was is that i will never be selfish again it will be i care more about my friends than i do myself because if i lift them up they lift me up Bingo. So uh, before it was, you know, what can I do for me? Let's go do this. It's all about me. And at that moment, every one of my personal views changed oh. within within seconds. Because you think about 
when something like that happens, it's hard to not talk, think about it, not talk about it. it it's just, it's just one of those things that is, is there with you forever. It's unavoidable. And you always analyze stuff. That's the human brain. You always analyze what could have been, what should have been, mm-hmm. but it's what you take out of it. That that's the most important thing. Yes, exactly. So what I, like I said, what I try to take out of it is, is that, I felt like I didn't spend enough time with him. I didn't focus more on my friends, so that's what I do now. Like, it it, it sucks <laughs> sometimes, but you you have to. In me, it's it's spending time with you guys and yeah. and doing stuff. Well, and it's it's allowed you and afforded you an opportunity to now not take moments for granted, right? If an opportunity and a moment presents itself that you know is a once in a lifetime thing, you really go. No, there's really nothing more worth it than for me and my friends or me and the missus or whoever to experience this once in a lifetime thing. And I think that's great. So let's flip it on the other side because I want to start to kind of build this towards. It's really interesting. I was just like reflecting while you were speaking. This is the most survivalist episode I've ever done of the voice of survival (laughs) because you're like really telling people really good nuggets of information to better themselves in in dealing with mental struggles. It's a very real thing that um, plagues a lot of people, you know, and and so it's good to hear. So now we're going to kind of just sort of shift gears here and let me know if we need to go back and talk more about what's happening while you're on your deployment. But I want to talk about adjusting to civilian life on the other side of your deployments. And how long between your two deployments did you have to kind of be off, if that's the word you use? And then, of course, after your last deployment, what was it like adjusting to not being in that thing that is war? So the, the first time was, it wasn't, a, I say it wasn't as bad, but you know, that was when like people were getting shot at. As you say, you go numb to these things and it doesn't really bother you as much anymore. But the first deployment, I drank a lot. Okay. A lot, a lot when I came back. And, uh, like a lot. <laughs> I don't know how else. To, you were trying to escape. It was trying to escape some of the stuff that happened. Totally. And it was hard to adjust to no structure. Because when you're in the military, you have everything structured down from the top down. So, kind of sounds stupid, but it's thinking on thinking for yourself. Essentially, yeah, I mean, like you, you have to make your choice of like, okay, I need to buy a new vehicle or, or, or get an apartment and stuff like that. You know, over there, you don't have to think about that. It's even in the military, you don't have to think about that at all. It's just, hey, you have a place to live, just do your job. That, that's all it is. So now you're, you're going through of like dealing with other people that don't have the same mentality as you because everybody in the military kind of has the same mentality. Like everybody grasps the concept of like what needs to be done without saying it because they've already been taught. This is your job. It. Correct. This, this is your job. You need to do your job. And then coming into the civilian life and you get people that just don't want to do their jobs and they're they're bogging everybody down. It's it's hard to hold back to like not say, hey. So it's very interesting because you just gave me a moment to think about how similar the Iraqi people are that you're freeing. Right. Right. And then how you felt being freed from. Exactly. Because you are, again, a caged animal that the door has been let out on. 
caged animals. They they are scheduled when they're supposed to eat. They're scheduled when they're supposed to be bathed. They're scheduled when they're supposed to go and do a show for the people, you know, or whatever. And that was you. Yep. You were doing the job. So now you're you're free from that. Did you come back here? Or I actually moved to or Lafayette. You said from Iraq to Lafayette. Pretty much. Well, was your decision based on anything that was going on here at the time? Did you have friends already here? Or? So I had my cousin okay. was up here, and he had just moved up a little while ago with his mom, and then his mom moved back to Bloomington. Well, he decided to stay. Sure. He got an apartment. And I told him, I was like, you know, I want to get up Bloomington. I don't want to be there anymore. That's kind of the reason why I am where I am now. I'm not going back. So I came home and then packed up and went straight here. I spent a couple of days with my family and then maybe Visiting, maybe a month up. total of catching up, you mm-hmm. know. And then like here I came, packed up, moved in with him, got a job. I feel like I missed a totally important question in all this. What? You said you visited with your family. Do you have siblings? I think I don't know. I don't I, I have think a sister. I know. you have one sister, is it's that it? it? I've met her. She's a very nice lady. I have more siblings, but through the ones that I know is my sister. I have I think three other sisters on my father's side that I, I had no con- I have no contact with at okay. all. Okay, totally, totally. So what did your sister think about you wanting to go to the military and do all these things? Was she too young she to understand young. it? Yeah. So she really didn't know, and then you come back, and she's like getting closer to being a grown-up, I guess, because she's like in her 20s now? 22, 21, 22 I think now. you told me that at LoftyCon when I met her. Um, but, yeah, you know, it's uh, so you are you're in Lafayette. What's the first step? Do you get a job of any sort? That's the first thing I did. Uh, where did you go? I went to uh, Lafayette, not Lafayette, Venetia, um, Lafayette, Imperial Travels. Okay, travel agency? Yeah. No, it's the, yeah, the travel agency where they were, do their buses. So my cousin and his sister stayed here. His sister married a guy that actually works with Subaru now with me. Oh, cool. And they were living here, so we were all kind of together, and he's like, hey, I'll give you a job. And it was like work, cleaning buses, working on the buses. Like it was a minimum wage, you know, eight dollars, nine dollars an hour. Doing what you can. Doing what I can. Then I got a job here at Walmart for a little while, and they sucked. It's <laughs> Walmart. Yeah, it's just all you can say. So, and then I moved to work with Lafayette Venetian Blinds and did Imperial Travel. So I was working two full, almost two full time jobs for a long time. I did that for about a year and a half, two years. Just to stay busy. Do you know what the next question is? She's behind you. How did you meet your wife? I think that's a good, interesting question, <laughs> right? I mean, that's important. I actually met her through some friends. Well, initially, who has his own podcast. What is his name? Would it be Blaine? Oh, yeah, from Podcastrophe. He was actually the last Voice of Survival's <laughs> guest, uh, truth be told. But so you met her through, you know, it's interesting. He. I don't know if he brought this up on the podcast or not. And if not, I'm trying not to embarrass you right now. But I heard that at one point you went by Little Mike. Yep. You're a pretty big dude. Like not like you're just like a tall fella. Tall. So like Big Mike must have been a big motherfucker if you were Little Mike. So Big Mike is smaller than, shorter than me, but he's heavier than me. I used to be 135 pounds at six foot tall. So you were like matchsticks. Yeah. Damn. And he was kind of a shorter guy, but he was he's pretty husky all right i got gotcha. you so that's where they had little mike big mike fair enough so and during that time of the little mike big mike is when you met joanna through that time is where i met blaine okay and then later on 
I lived in Pheasant Run. Blaine lives in Pheasant Run. And they were moving in together. As I look back at her. And you just got this face of death. Wow, that was awesome. <laughs> I saw that. You didn't see That's that. That's all right. If I had a camera. I get it. I get it all the time. And Brandon's asleep. Hi. <laughs> he's like, no, he's not. Oh, my gosh. He's playing the Blaine from the Attack of the Yons episode. Except for he's not actually on the podcast snoring into the <laughs> microphone, which is maybe one of the single greatest moments of podcasting history. But let's get back to it. So he asked me to help him move. And I was like, yeah, it's fine because I was working nights. Sure. So I walked over to his apartment because he lived in the next building behind me. And she was there with Blaine, and she was packing her stuff into the car, and we packed everything into Blaine's dad's truck. I'm looking at you. So we packed it all up. I think the first day was packing it all into his car that he had. So we packed it so tight. He's like, hey, you're going to have to ride with Joanna. So we were literally moving four or five buildings down. Oh, my gosh. So it's like a super short move. Yeah. So she doesn't talk, and I am a very open person like it doesn't matter who you are oh, I i'm going to talk to you hey how's it going yeah, yeah i totally and, know and so she's like terrified because she's not a people person at all well they do say opposites attract i'm just and, saying and it was funny because we got in the car and i started talking to her and she's not talking back <laughs> at all she's just driving and kind of doing the eye roll looking around thing why is this guy talking to me who the fuck is he and then as we're moving stuff in one of the people that are moving in with blaine and his girlfriend are there okay and this the guy is working and the girl is literally just standing there staring at us carrying stuff up so there's plenty of boxes small stuff she she's not doing anything she's just standing there looking at us totally and i look over to her and i was like the fuck's this lazy bitch? She's fucking lazy. Get a fucking box. She's like, I know, right? This what the fuck is she doing? So she's like dictating where stuff goes. Oh man! And I was like, I had smacked the shit out of her. Man, you guys bonded over bitching. That's amazing. Pretty much. Pretty much. So we're, we're well, we bonded over making fun of somebody. Fair enough. Fair enough. So then the next trip, like back and forth, because we did a couple trips, she started talking to me in the car, and you know, this. BS and just warming it up. Yeah. And we were still making fun of that girl the entire time and just and then so they split up and then six to eight months or something like that, in between that, we met at a friend's party that invited both of us. And you were just like, Oh hey, you're that chick. Yeah, pretty much. And she was like, That fucking bitch still didn't move a goddamn <laughs> thing. <laughs> no. Yeah. So we were sitting there and they just talking and then like we were is. the first two people there at the party. Oh. It's because I'm always early. You guys never heard about fashionably late, huh? And she was, I was there two hours early, and she was there an hour early because he was my best friend. Gotcha. So I would always come and help him do whatever, and we'd do what we needed to do, and then she showed up before anyone else. So we were just talking, and she was making fun of me because I didn't. it was a Halloween party, and I didn't come in with a costume. I never do. Baller. That's care. a true way to do it. I love it. And fuck your costume tradition. So she had like a pencil sticking out of her pencil sticking out of her head. That's all she did. So she was just as lazy about dressing up as I was. <laughs> she literally just put a prosthetic on and put covered right. it up and said, go. So they gave us face paint and they, she like half kiss, half 
kitty cat. I don't know what you did. Something stupid like that. And then she really was stuck to my hip from then on out. Awesome. You can't from get actually rid of through her. the entire time of that party. If I went into a room, she was Oh, that's so right sweet, here. you guys. You guys are literally <laughs> like adorable together and just the way you interact with each other, it's like you're familiars with each other, but you have this like lovely bond. It's 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 really great to experience. Uh so let's let's get into this now because now I the real questions are starting to churn into my brain hole. When did you decide like she's the one I'm done searching this like winner ding 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 (laughs) well is there a moment that I know what I know what her moment was was when we were driving down the road downtown Purdue okay watch your face bright red watch your face (laughs) okay and I'm I've always been that person that's just loud and and having a good time and we were driving down it was I mean it was icy it was bad, and it, <laughs> there were some people, I'm going to say people, walking, and I literally, she's in the front seat with me, our roommate's in the back, and I just turn and yell out the window, <laughs> <laughs> and it scared the people so much that they fell down. Oh my God, that's amazing. <laughs> so we start laughing, and she's she's laughing, so she's crying. I'm not going to say what else happened. <laughs> and she's just I know that she always jokes she's like that's when that's whenever I thought that I loved you the most well that's when she's like that's when I knew I loved you it's weird because uh, I actually knew you guys before you were married yes and unfortunately with there was like let's talk about that you guys had some fucking weird we haven't really got into that part of your life either you have weird fucked up luck No, no 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 she has weird fucked up luck. Okay. I have always had good luck. Okay, fair enough. I'm <laughs> the firm believer of there's no real luck. Everything is right. circumstantial, but I digress. You guys were going to get married in a place and it burnt to the fucking ground. Three, what? three weeks before the wedding. How does that? How? What? Yep. And here's the more fucked up part, because th- let me tell you something. You guys had awesome invites to your wedding. They were like Harry Potter-esque themed. You had the cool like the stamp, the wax stamp yes. thing. Like I remember. I fucking remember those. She did that all by hand. That's crazy. So they were the tits. I loved them, right? And I remember, I don't did you post it on Facebook or something? I don't remember where it got posted, but you guys were like, I can't believe this, but now we're trying to find a place to get married because the church burnt down. Was it was a church, right, or was it just a building? It was an old gymnasium in the area that I grew up. Oh. I didn't go there, but it was, it was like a, a landmark of the area. Like okay. everybody knew it. It's been there for, I would say, a hundred years or so. Like sure, it was, and somebody burned it down. <laughs> they did not want y'all to get married in that church. So where did you guys end up getting hitched at? At a pub. At a Irish pub that had a like a medieval theme it actually it turned out better dope that's awesome but it sucks that we spent all the money for all the other stuff and then it was not even yeah damn and you got no refund on that either well we got refund on the building we didn't <laughs> refund on any of this stuff because you have to do it within like two months of like returning the tables and stuff so we'd already paid for all that out of pocket <sighs> tablecloths all that stuff we lost all that money so we bought 
tons and tons of tables and we rented them and, and everything. And I called him and said, Hey, you know, we're going to have to cancel this because the building burnt down. I'm like, okay. So you guys going to use refund? Nope. Oh, I would have fought tooth and nail. I did. And they're like, that's our policy. It's in, and it, I had the paper in front of me and I was like, are you kidding me? Like that's circumstantial. Like if it was okay, me and her not getting married because we hate each other now, it was a different story. We, we had a building burned down. That's act of God, bro. I mean, yeah, like there's nothing you could do. Whatever God, I guess. Is but yeah, that was say that. that was fun. Man, that's uh, I did. But the building actually was way more themed towards what we wanted it to be. Oh, not what we were doing for the family, because like I have a large family. Totally. That everybody likes to convene and get together as much as they can. Mm-hmm. So I wanted to have it down south, and that's why we picked there. It's not the prime location it really wasn't what we wanted but it was just where it was at for family because you know that's what really makes a wedding not how much you spend on it what it looks like it is more about who's there spending time with them absolutely so it worked out better because we really liked it other than her dragging lamps down the aisle way what happened now so everything was really close Oh, the train so, caught some shit and brought so it her, along for the party. Her wedding dress was grabbing stuff. Come on, ride the train. <laughs> yeah, train. pretty much. Ride it. Yeah, that's a fucking awesome bringing lamps and shit. Uh, Mike, I think that we need to move forward to the next step in all this. So we've learned about the wife. We've learned about a little bit of the past. Let's talk about how I know you. Yes. Because we haven't got there yet. Now, I started the JIC podcast January 14, and I didn't know you. Right. I didn't know Joanna. I didn't know Dick. I didn't know Nick Torres or Nick Maxson or or fucking hardly anybody. The only people I knew was this guy over here and Kate. That's pretty much it. Kate hits a deer. Brandon is unable to come to do one episode of Journey into Comics. He then Skypes in. Which shows us that we could Skype the whole show and always do this. Right. Why not keep it together? I bring him on as my creative genius. The rest is history. Blah, blah, blah. I believe in history. So bear with me, folks. I think it's episode 39 of Journey into Comics. Surge and Crispy M&M's is your first appearance. I believe it was you and Nick Torres with Brando. Brando cast. He had got Surge and the Crispy M&M's had just come that. back. And you guys did the whole episode. And I remember thinking, like, I was like, man, that Mike guy is good. He, when he talks, he brings up good points. But he seems really, a f- like, kind of timid to speak on the mic. Right. And slowly but surely, the more you were introduced to it, the you know, the very next week we were here, first time I officially meet you, we're here to do Nerds of the Roundtable 1. That's an interesting thing because the month coming up Monday – Nerds of the Roundtable 3 will drop on Future Week of Journey into Comics. We're almost there in a couple days here. So uh, I meet you there. We did like the food taste test and shit that never was released because I fucking won. And damn it. The Uh, the root beer and nuggets and fries fries. and a burger, right? Was it a burger? I think it was just a cheeseburger. Cheeseburger. It's a a plain burger. Yeah. Damn good. I have a great palate for food. So still salty that that never saw the light of day but <laughs> i met you there and it was like i think you were maybe on one more episode in between 40 and 50 and then you were a part of episode 50 right and then it seemed like the more i was down here to do podcasts the more i was noticing you around to be a part of it game addicts starts brando kind of 
started his own thing. He brings you in. What has it been like doing your own podcast now along with this guy? And you guys are, you know, 60 episodes in. I think about when Brando and I were 60 episodes in on JIC and like how green we really were. And of course, he's a little bit more seasoned now. So his episode 60 is different than yours. So I want to get your perspective. What has podcasting been like for you? And what do you like about this medium? So for me, it was it was a struggle at first because I have a, a way of mixing my words up. Totally understand that. And, sometimes. and, and it's that's even outside of being behind the mic. That's just who I am. Absolutely. And um, at first, I really, I really speaking with Brando and stuff. It was hard for me to really adjust to like you know we're both fairly long winded. Once we get going, we get going (laughs) and it's hard for you to find a break point in each conversation. So I was kind of just hanging back and I was here and he'd ask me questions. I'd answer him in a short little spout. And then you have to learn how to be like the great interjector with podcast. Absolutely. So at first, I think one of the first ones that we did together was the E3 of 2015 he's not awake to answer me nope (laughs) i believe it was 2015 that we did they covered e3 and we were able to like i was able to watch it and we talked and stuff like that but now see then i feel like if i had the time that i had then now i could do better because now i have less time so when it comes to a podcast, he's like, hey, these are the topics we want to do. And while we're setting up, I'm flipping through trying to get a brush of it because I just don't have time with my job. You're kind of packing it in more, but it's making you almost be more vocal because you're learning these facts that you right. really want to speak about and learning the points that you want to talk about right before you're doing it. But in a sense, it gets good. It's good because you get the initial reaction. Yes, it's, absolutely. It's not a, okay, I spent four hours last night researching about the switch or whatever. I've watched every video that exists. On the exactly. Switch. So in a sense, it's good. I've learned to be more on the fly. Absolutely. That's one thing uh, adapting circumstantially speaking uh, and it's it's definitely difficult for you guys with game addicts because you have animals. You've also got <laughs> wild robs appearing sometimes, yes. you know. So, uh, th- now uh, here's the thing: I, I definitely want to dive. The into. guy almost hit the the big sound of the house. You remember that episode? Oh my where, like, God, we you just jumped the we fuck off vanished. the screen. I was freaked out. So that's one thing I want to talk about, though. You guys film your podcast. Yes. What's that experience like? Because let me tell you something, brother. Here's a little secret about Nate. If you put a camera up right now, like to do this show, which I think is definitely a more personal me and you sitting here and having a a dialogue, it would fuck me up. It would affect how I conduct this interview with you. But let's say it's Journey into Comics, nerding out about shit. Put a camera up. So... I, I think for this show specifically, I would have a hard time acclimating to it. But what has it been like for you being in front of a camera and almost having to realize and be mindful of touching your face or like itching your eyes or some shit or like, oh, I accidentally grabbed my nuts on the screen, you know, oops. Uh, if, if you ever watch them, I'm the one that doesn't care at all. Well, that's great. Because <laughs> I'll sit there and I'll, you'll see me kind of. Like when he's going on, like describing something, I'm listening, but I'm a very fidgety person. So I'll, I'll be 500 feet away. And I have to like, think about, stop doing that. 
Oh yeah, stop, stop doing this. Stop doing that. Like you, you can't. Like I'll sit here and I know there's episodes where you'll hear this because you're I'm fidgeting with the bottles, fidgeting yeah. with the bottles and stuff. And afterwards, he's like, "Watch the video and see how fidgety you were." And, and, and like, like oh, you'll shit. do this, like you'll be talking, and I'll kind of trailing off. Trailing off. I'm I'm listening, <laughs> but I'm looking at stuff around because sitting here staring at you the whole time. No offense to anybody at all. I cannot sit and focus on something for very long. Oh, totally. Even with like gaming, there'll be time, like about an hour. I got to get up, walk around, get a different scenery going, and then then I can go back into Change it. Up. That's that ADHD yeah. kicking in. Your brain is like, I'm I'm standing still too long. There's other things I could be doing yep. and accomplishing. That actually uh, leads me. Yeah, I'm gonna, I'm gonna try to figure out how to explain this. So one thing I didn't discuss deeply was eating in the military okay so we're going to kind of jump off of podcasting just for a second because i i want to make sure i wanted to ask this question because you guys get rations and whatnot so what is that like do you guys have uh, buffet is not the right word but is there like a, a central kitchen or something on base that cooks for the soldiers yes. and stuff so on base on, on base. base so if you're off base you get your mres okay and i've actually seen some pretty awesome videos man um it's really bizarre because i didn't realize this was something i would fucking love watching but there's a guy on youtube who literally collects rations like mre rations and like i'm talking from like the 70s the 80s and so on when they put zippos in them he opens them now and eats them and tries them and talks about reviews the food and that you know they're all good because they're vacuum sealed to right. last for fucking ever yep. literally but i watched one he opened like a 1983 ration and it was ridiculous he's like look at this dope pudding and all this like other shit. i was like wow like it makes me interested so i want to talk about that when you're on base what's the food cooking like because i i can't envision it's got to be amazing it's not like you're getting gourmet food on base so it's kind of funny because it's actually the first the first round i mean it's pretty basic stuff like my first tour nothing was really fully established yet other than a handful of bases like you had like anaconda was a big one like if you could go to anaconda you could get pizza like you could go to pizza hut and get pizza it was like anytime an anaconda mission comes up everybody's like i want to go what what do you want me me to do i want to go and uh they had a big px PX is like a Walmart. Okay. Basically. And, you know, those are the places you want to go. But on the base, you know, they, their food was good. But the second tour, we had surf and turf on Fridays. Oh, like, shit. It all depended on where you were at. Because my second tour, I was on a major base. Okay. And I can name the I, – I was on Camp Striker, but it's a part of another larger base that is eluding me at this point in time. No worries. It, it that, that's it's, small it was a detail. Cl- it was a kilometer of like the Air Force had an air base there where like oh, everybody shit. flew in, and then we had the Camp Striker, which was you know your troops that go out on convoys a lot, and they had everything partitioned off the way that you know how you would work. So that base, there was five or six cafeterias you could go to. Oh damn! So we're back here to the first one, and I was on in Ramadi for a little while and then I was at oh I can't remember the name of that base it'll come to me halfway through don't worry about it it had an air base on it so it was a really large base but it only had like a fence it didn't have a berm or anything but it was a it was a large scale like square footage base so everything was spread out so you had 
a defect in your like living area, you had a defect in the main area, and then you had a defect next to the airfield. Well, for some reason, the Air Force would like get in fresh stuff. Like fresh seafood, fresh. They can fly meat. it in. <laughs> Basically, they I I don't know what they I think they hid it in the cargo they were carrying. Oh like, shit! But they would get like you'd walk in and they would have like gourmet dishes sitting there, and you're like, how come? You know, a half a mile that way, and the place I'm supposed to eat at, it's freaking crap. But <laughs> I come over here and you've got steak, seafood, shrimp. I mean. Fresh, okay, so before we even, I continue with that. There is no fruit that I've ever had that compares to having fruit overseas. Really? I believe it is because a lot of the fruit that I was eating was only coming a couple hundred miles away. Oh, wow, yeah. So, so we would get fresh fruit. Super fresh. So in the morning, for breakfast, I'd almost always had the same thing. I had biscuits and gravy. Fuck yeah. And I'd have a, like some bacon or ham. And then I would go and take and get a bowl and just get fresh fruit. Hell yeah. I would get oranges, kiwis, I mean, anything you can think of. And it was, I've never had fruit that good yet. Since. Since, yeah. I see, I see what you're saying. Wow. So That's it was amazing. About. But so, rearing back, so they their cafeterias are called DFACs, dining facilities. Okay. So the first one, that's where they had Spiker. That's the name of the base. Ah. I told you I'd remember. You did halfway <laughs> through too. That was yeah. like clockwork. Um. Spiker was a world open base, so that's where they had like all the different areas. And then when I the second tour, they had oh, the bases were more defined. So you had a smaller bases or larger bases that would have better facilities because they've been there longer and they were able to upgrade them. Well established. Yeah. So we would have. I basically had that Air Force base my first time deployment. That was my normal dining facility. So every Friday they had surfing turf. I could walk in there. A lot of the times on Fridays I didn't get steaks and stuff. I'd walk up to them and say, hey, can I have some steaks? They would just reach in the freezer, pull out a big old stack of steaks, hand it to me. I'd go back to my area. We'd have, if everybody was there, we'd have grilling, like five people. Seeing it like you have the big block parties. That's what we did every Friday. So that's dope. You can just go in, get yep. meat, and cook it yourself. Yep. Do it your own damn they way. Were, that's great. I loved it. it well, was how do you like your steak? Um, medium. Kind of medium or uh, medium rare. Okay. That's where I like I'm a medium rare guy. I kind of like to see a little bit of some pink in there, but I, I don't want it to be overcooked on the outside, so, so I'm really picky about So I would I, say you're almost a medium weller. Like you almost want almost. it well, but it still needs to be a little. And that's why I say about medium, not okay. medium rare, medium. Okay, but yeah, I feel that I'm a big. You know, I mean, with foodies watching movies, we still haven't had you guys guys on that show. At some point, that's my other yeah. goal is to have another. Wait, you guys were on Foodies? It was just a fucking crazy train wreck of a show in episode four. If you guys remember, we had the thing. I think here. I came in right after work. Yeah, I literally you did. drove straight that there was to crazy. work. crazy. We didn't know if you were going to be a part of it, and things yeah. were all in flux, and uh, that was a very busy, crazy, wackadoodle day that I will never, ever, ever, ever forget. Uh, but let's continue back on. So you've been podcasting for a while now. Yep. We're at the end of 2017. This is the last voice of survival for 2017. I feel like I've said that all week because it's been the last episodes of 2017 for these shows. So let's go ahead and ask the question. 
I asked Blaine on Podcastrophe yesterday, so I think it's beautiful to ask you on on my show today. What are some things that you're happy with, like some, uh, I don't know if successes, but what are some achievements that you think you reached in 2017 as a part of the network and doing Game Addicts? And then on the flip, do you guys, do you, and, and, and maybe Brandon doesn't know these or maybe he does, do you personally have goals for 2018 moving the podcast forward for what is next? Be, and that might even include beyond what you guys have talked about because I know one thing Brandon and you are, are like chomping and foaming at the mouth to get into is the streaming yes. aspect. So let's start first with your 2017 looking back at it. What do you think overall? I will say one moment that stands out for your podcasting career, if that's a word you use here, but in your podcasting journey, one moment that stands out that defines you within our network is how fucking huge you stepped up during Lafayette. <laughs> like I cannot hype you enough about that because that was a thing where <clears throat> Brandon set it up. I showed up and everybody else did everything else. And all I had to do was focus on podcasting. And it's not that I asked for that. It's not that I was trying to be a prima donna and say, I don't want to get my hands dirty. It just, you stepped up so fucking hard, man. You went to bat for the network. You guaranteed that we are there next year in a bigger capacity, or I'd rather this year, I guess you should say, the 2018 LafayCon. So, uh, but just, I don't know if that moment is what defines your 2017, but for me, that's something that's big in my opinion of you. So let's go back to it. Your views. What is some things that happened in 2017 that you're very happy with when you think about your podcast and, and things that have gone on? So that is one of the defining moments for me. Cool. But it was only a realization when you guys came up and played here with your band, The Walk Among Us. Okay. And they they had the board back there that I had worked with with you guys on doing the podcast up there. Yeah. And knowing like what everything should be and just watching somebody else do it and thinking, I didn't suck that bad, did I? No. And you guys were like, no, you were like knocking it out of the park, man. So uh, um, for me, that was a defining moment to secure our extra spot. And I kind of tried to push a little bit with like getting game addicts to take over their their game room because the gaming tournaments flopped and i know me and you were really chomping at the bit to get down some mario kart Mm -hmm. and we ended up doing that later on but yeah when i was out of practice right fair enough no excuses uh you beat me fair and square it's cool (laughs) well you beat me on the last one so that's true you're getting back in it that's fair um but um getting getting our uh, it's really hard for our scheduling for me and Brando scheduling. So one of the pinnacle moments is for us basically being so flexible that we can just do it whenever we need to and um, preparing for like E3 and stuff like that. Like this year is really hard for us because it was, we were back and forth with work, but you just getting from days to nights to days to nights yeah, again. And that week was bad. <clears throat> yeah. So, but getting one of my defining moments of this year is getting all of us together. Yeah, that's what I like to do. I like, I like to host because, yeah, you know, I like letting people in the house. And you know, afterwards, everybody leaves. You know, there's always stuff to be done afterwards. But to get everybody together and to to just to be together, just just to be, or is it, whether it be podcasting or or hanging out like we can, you guys came up for that weekend and we just 
chilled. That was a fucking amazing weekend. And you know, it's weird because I, I, I said this to introduce you on the show, but you, you and Joanna and, and, um, Gretchen and Rob are the walk among us, like, uh, parents as it were our <laughs> tour parents because we're the irresponsible kids who don't show up till two or three in the morning from a gig and we're all <laughs> loud and obnoxious and rowdy about everything and don't settle down till five or six in the morning when you're getting up to go to work I right mean, that's for real but then it was really awesome on the flip side to just come down we went and saw justice league we hung out we stayed the night chilled it was it was great uh and then even staying when we have shows like we've stayed here a couple times when we've been traveling in between places and we stop off here for the night, we stay and it's so awesome to like hang out here till 5 or 6 our time or whatever and then drive an hour to Indy for a show instead of being up there and being like, "Oh, well at fucking 3 o'clock we should get ready to head to Indianapolis in case traffic is bullshit." Right. You know, it's like, "Oh man, I'm just so grateful that Mike and Joanna are. You guys are super hospitable. It's been I I'm just I can't say it enough how grateful I am to have you guys in my life and in the podcasting family. It's crazy, Mike, because we're going to jump back to your wife. We just talked about her a little bit here. She has now taken the charge yes. and is podcasting as well. So how does that feel? Because I'm in that thing, too, with podcasting with somebody that you're with. And uh, you guys don't podcast together, per se. No. But there's a lot of podcasting that happens in this house. Has it changed your guys' dynamic as, in your relationship? Do you guys talk about podcasting a lot? Or like, hey, honey, I'm doing this on the episode, or I have this idea. Or she says, hey, I have this idea, blah, blah, blah. Is there a lot of that now where you guys are constantly brainstorming? Or kind how does of, it change the dynamic? Kind of. A lot of hers is that she's not real comfortable with just speaking to people in general. So, like, even as long unless she knows you, it's really hard for her to to speak to people that way because she she has anxiety. That's, totally, that's I, a lot of people do. All of us do at some aspect in our life. Spoiler we do. alert: Me too. Like it's it's ridiculous how even t even like asking you to do voice survival, I was like, oh my god, I have to talk to Mike now for real. And then I was like, <laughs> oh wait, it's just Mike. Right, Mike is a cool dude. We can do this. And then, like, it's just been this, like, natural progression. So I understand the anxiety thing totally. It's funny because that, that's, like, a whole – yesterday we had to talk about anxiety on Podcastrophe because there was a whole thing that happened with him and right. and stuff. But go on. I'm sorry. I didn't mean to cut you out there. So a lot of hers is just her asking me questions, and a lot of it is stuff that Brandon does. So, like, how to set up everything. So because we use the Zoom. And it's literally just plug and play, set your tones, hit record, game on. Yep. So she's using the computer. Yeah. I haven't used the computer, so I'm trying to help her navigate that the best that I can with my limited knowledge. Totally. And then she's, she'll ask me, like, do you think this sounds good? Do you think this and that? And I, being me, I mean, I, I should work on this more, is that when she asks me to listen to stuff, I should probably start listening to it. And, and giving her my personal opinion, but when it comes to something like this, I want to be... Hands off, let her figure it out. Right. Well, I don't want her to to only look for my opinion because I'm going to be very neutral. It's not going to be, you're my wife, so I'm going to powder coat it. I want you to get better, so I'm going to be kind of harsh and say, okay, well, you did this, this too much. Do, yeah. Because I know... Everybody will listen to themselves and they're like, okay, I say, um, 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 or I do something like I fidget a lot and totally. I, I do a lot of, I personally do a lot of backtracking where I'll repeat myself multiple times and it's hard 
for me to, I have to basically get myself back into the mindset. So I have to verbally repeat myself. So with her, she has, she just, she's a perfectionist. She doesn't want to put anything out that is not perfect in her eyes. Totally. So it's hard, for, you know, some of the best moments are those that are unplanned and that are complete catastrophes. Also true. But are hilarious. Also true. Whenever you listen to them, but you think, damn it, I screwed that up so bad. Why Why would I do that? But when you really look at it and you listen, like you or I listen to it, we'll start laughing and say, that's hilarious. You should keep that in there. Spoiler alert, I think I've done just over 200 podcasts all time. Like I think my number Shoot. is probably like 215 now, somewhere around wow. there. I was counting, I think, because like with all the other shows and any anyways i digress and then all the guest spots and whatnot so um one thing i will tell you is what you just said about moments creating themselves within podcasts that are unplanned that's so true and here's the most beautiful part i've never recorded something in a podcast where something went wrong and then had somebody contact me and be like hey i was fucking wrong why did you do that right. typically if it matters that much like it, it it will never matter that much you know it, right. it, especially if your show is be spur of the moment, be spontaneous, be real, and just give your full attention. I think, just personally speaking, it's cool to see Joanna with two different kinds of shows. You look at the show she does with Kate, and that is its own kind of machine that has its own formula, and they kind of are a little bit rowdy and different. And then you look at the literature show, and it is, I mean, I just want, it's like a supercomputer of information, you know? It's it, completely it, unique. It literally is, hey, I can give you exactly my detailed opinionated thoughts without convoluted long-term tangents like journey into comics. <laughs> yeah. Enjoy. Get in, get out, get done. Like yeah. that, and that is the beauty of it cuz there's no other show on the network that's like that. So it just gives it its own uniqueness and I think that you are again an amazing and supportive person. So you definitely I'm sure fostered yes, do the podcast. You should totally podcast and don't not podcast. What's that look for? Because <laughs> she is a procrastinator, and it took her almost a month to do her okay. first one. But that's okay. I took a three-month <laughs> break after my first podcast and didn't realize if I'd ever do it again. So, I mean, right. you know, I, I don't I, – no hating on that. And everything worked out perfectly. The timing is beautiful. Everything's working and, and running on the network exactly how I want it to. So, I mean, there's no real complaints. I mean, the only thing we could do better is – just get more people to actually hear us. Yes. I mean, if we could just, and, th and that's, that's one coming. Of my, that's one of my weak points is because I am not a social media person. It's hard. It is hard. You, it's almost a set. It's almost really a third fucking job for me on oh, top I of, I mean, list of things Nate does goes from like managing a band to managing a podcast to managing four podcasts to managing a podcast network to, to, you know, uh, now I deal cards again and like all these other things. So, too many hands in the honey pot. It's nice to know that I have a team of people that I can go wash my hands. You guys can figure it out. And everybody does great. Yeah. Everybody does great. The beautiful thing leading into all this is next week, January 1st, starts feature week. Yes. For the Journey into Comics Network. We're going to be featured on Podbean Monday, starting with Journey into Comics, Tuesday, Poor Rapport, Wednesday with Foodies, Thursday, Podcastrophe, and Game Addicts. That's your show. You guys are doing a did or are doing an nes retrospective for that i believe yes so that's going to be fucking awesome one of my favorite systems the original nes i can't wait to hear what you guys say about that and then obviously friday is uh awesomely episode 10 of butt stuff 
So their 10th episode is on Feature Week, like this beautiful commemoration of like 10 episodes. It's awesome. It's, <laughs> I, I'm stoked. And that, that show took off in its own right as well. People fucking love that show. If you look in the past, like since the network started, August of 2017 to now, all-time downloads, the premiere episode of Butt Stuff is the most downloaded for the network. Wow. And and that's like it's numbers outside of what I've typically seen. So I'm just like, man, they have something there. It's lightning in a bottle. I, I, I like using that phrase, but it's real. Uh, but let's get back into it here. What are some you were saying a little bit about 2018? You didn't really elaborate super much on like what your long term plan for 2018 and beyond is for your podcast. So streaming that's I know, that, I know. that's, that's always going to be the it. the big thing you really want to get on twitch and play games i really do because there's a lot of things that i would like to do i like to be do the interactive stuff and any way that i can contribute to the network is is what i'd like to do at this point um but really is looking forward to like doing uh LoffyCon. Yeah, I'm I'm stressed a little bit because we haven't been. I have yet to be contacted on what to do, what I'm allowed to do. Well, that actually is super. I mean, I'm gonna just like pull the veil back a little bit and give you some insight. The only thing that's been talked about is that the date has been changed. It's not in April this year. They're moving it to June, most likely. It's not official. They have discussed that June is their 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 date. They want to do a three day thing officially. Oh, okay. So, like, really spread it out. It'd be a Friday evening thing, which would be, like, your previews night all day Saturday, and then Sunday would be a midday closer by, like, 5 or 6, like they did last time. Right. So uh, it's very early on. They're still trying to get all the different cogs going. So it's not like you're missing any information because none has really been given. I feel like, personally, with Nick Maxson being so ingrained in the LoffyCon thing, that as far as what Game Addicts wants to do with the tournament and stuff and whatever game tournaments you want to run, he's going to say, here, have it, and you guys are going to know right. what to do. Like, he he's going to – I'm certain – I'm not speaking for Nick personally, but I feel almost certain that he is going to entrust with you guys. You guys are going to know what to fucking do. Please do it. Right. Like, I don't have to – I don't need to do anything else, you know. So and of course, if if Game Addicts needs me for anything involved in the gaming tournament, an additional system or a, a TV or some shit, I'll I'll do my best to contribute in that regard. Uh, so I I agree with you. I'm looking forward to more live podcasts and doing more events like that. I'm right. looking forward to seeing you guys stream because I am a watcher and an avid fan of Game Addicts podcast. I think you guys do phenomenal over there. It's Thank awesome you. to see you guys. Have, it was like I feel like a proud dad. <laughs> when Game Addicts hits episode 50, and I go, wow, Mike was on my episode 50, and it was a big fucking deal to me. And we had all these people, and it was a big, you know, it yeah. meant something to me then. And then now I'm like, they're at episode 50, and it means even more to me now because I didn't do any work. You guys created something you genuinely love and have spawned something that is awesome, and I definitely encourage my listeners, if you like video games at all, there's only one place to listen to people nerd out about games, and in my opinion, that's Game Addicts Podcast. And that's not just because y'all are on the fucking network. That's because I literally value your opinions. So uh, I don't know if there's anything. Do we? You know, I always ask my guests this question, but is there anything we did not dive into today that you're like, whoa, 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 how did you miss this? Why did we not go down this path? Can we start talking about this now? Now, keep in mind, 
if it's some big, huge thing that's like a, a giant thing that we did not uncover, we can always do an episode two. I'm not opposed to that. Right. But if it's a smaller thing and you got like a 20-minute slot to fill of some stuff you want to talk about, by all means, be my guest. You know what I'm saying? No, I don't. Okay, well, I think so. if, if you've got nothing else, and typically no one does because I feel like I try to be as knowledgeable as I can in regards to, I mean, I literally just learned a lot of your story today and ask those questions in the moment based on what you were telling me. So then that's how I like to do it. Cause I don't, I don't feel like if I sit here and research you and your life, I'm reading a book. I'm not learning you and what you actually think and feel about the thing. So I love to get like really feel how you felt about the podcast and talking about the things you talked about today. I thought you did a phenomenal job. Just want to get that out of the way. And thank you so much for being a guest on The Voice of Survival. Anytime. Uh, well, good, because I'm going to need more guests at some point. <laughs> I told Brando today, I definitely said, man, look, here's the deal. I'm going to try not to repeat any guests as best I can. And then as soon as I'm done with everybody in the network, I will start repeating guests. Because <laughs> it's pretty much all I, all, you know, really the, the people I like interviewing are the people that I know. And it's cool to just learn different sides of the people you're around. Because uh, the things you told me today, I just, some of that stuff I would not have expected. But I think that's going to do it for today. We're going to go ahead and get into the plugs. As always, you can check out the Voices of Survival podcast on journeyintocomics.com go to patreon.com backslash journeyintocomics give us one dollar you get early access to every episode that goes live on the main feed and game addicts as well on the patreon or if you give us three dollars you get exclusive content and early access it's a bonus there voice of survival on facebook uh podcast voice of survival podcast on facebook if you go to the voice of survival on facebook you'll just find me because that's my thing. And then if you go to Voice Survival Podcast, that's the podcast. Uh, Voice Survival on Instagram and Twitter, I do believe. Uh, leave us a five-star review. I think that's going to do it. Mike, thank you so much for joining me today. Thank you for having me. Absolutely. Anytime, man. And I think that's going to do it for today, folks. Just uh, keep your heads up and uh, don't stop swimming.